0: Where's the intro that I usually have? (laughs) Hello, friends and fiends. Welcome to Bugs Need Heroes, a podcast illustrating the inspiring abilities of insects. I'm Amanda. And I'm Kelly. Before we get started creating this bug themed character,
1: what's bugging you, Kelly? Ooh. Well, we got a lot of rain over here on the East Coast. Right it finally now. rained
0: over here too, which ooh. is unusual for Oregon for it to take so long.
1: Well, we've got—I think we've got the winds, um, the very northern winds coming from that hurricane down in oh yeah, in <laughs> Flor- Florida right now. So hopefully, our far <laughs> Florida listeners are safe and everyone's okay. But, ooh, um, and the I have a sinus infection, east. so. Cool. You
0: are the queen of <laughs> nasty face this this summer.
1: I am. It is now rough. the fall. Well, you know, it, it got. We had that first day of it being really cold, and um, we left the window open, and I think it just dried out my sinuses. So, uh, yeah. but I'm ready. I'm ready for fall. I know this this podcast will air in October, and we'll be way into the fall by then. But. <laughs> um from this is me reporting from the past and i'm excited past you (laughs) excited for fall excited for fall how about um, you amanda what's in the pacific
0: northwest it kind of is a very much it hits fall fall time comes and because we have so many gosh darn trees it is fall instantly it goes from summer to now it's fall you guys you guys it's fall (laughs) uh we went from no leaves on the ground to all the leaves on the ground in the space of about seventy-two hours. That's all it <laughs> takes. Nothing that's podcast appropriate is bothering me lately. <laughs> <laughs> Too much interpersonal drama in my real life. Probably doesn't oh, even mention no. on the cast, or is just uh, parasocial upsets. So you know what are you going to do? Oh,
1: it happens. Well, speaking of um, interpersonal drama, we do we do have a guest today a special guest our first special guest on the on the pod i'm excited do you, do you uh, want to introduce him considering it, you're it is a voice and
0: uh <laughs> whose work you already know and love listeners it is Derek, producer and editor Derek is our special guest today uh because we are going to have a special episode where we talk about not a bug but the biggest bug of all the bat
1: welcome welcome producer Derek. welcome
0: producer Hello,
2: Derek, to your
1: own podcast <laughs> yes, yes
2: yeah i had a stress dream about this last night i was oh. giving a presentation and this guy kept interrupting me and i got docked points for going over time it was not a great dream no <laughs> but but if i don't like anything in this i can just i can just edit this afterwards too so
1: yeah there the is no going power. over time when you're the editor
2: yeah if i if I forget something i'll just splice it in
0: truly you this should be the most perfect podcast of them all then because you have
2: oh, no that's just gonna case. make it worse to think about <laughs>
0: anything missing, you're just going to slip it in because you have your own voice at your own disposal. I can
1: see you stress-petting Rotunda. (laughs) Yeah, she's here too. Oh, Rotunda. Does Rotunda like bats?
2: She's named after a bat. She's named after the vampire bat uh, because she was so fat when we got her. And Desmodus Rotundus can drink over its own body weight. It'll like double in size almost when it feeds. (sighs) And then they, uh, because that's mostly liquid, the blood they're drinking they will then excrete it about 20 minutes after and when she pees you know she wakes you up in the middle of the night with her <laughs> it's just so loud
1: this sounds like me at thanksgiving i get it i get it rotunda
0: 20 minutes later you're like i gotta get rid of some of this <laughs> i
1: gotta get out of here yeah oh that's
0: so, so all cute. three of your cats previously mentioned on the cast all three are named after bats
2: yes yes uh by by profession i am a wildlife control operator uh so i work with bats we're in the midst of bad exclusion season right now and by the time this airs it'll be wrapped up but yeah so working with bats in that capacity now but i also used to be a biological field tech so i spent a couple seasons working with them in that capacity as well and And you do a
1: lot of citizen science work with bats too right
2: yeah i do a lot of outreach um so that's kind of what this podcast evolved out of are you
1: going to
0: tell your origin stories? How'd how'd you get into Bats? We talked episode one that Kelly started uh, as a bug kid and became a bug lady. How did you get into (laughs) Bats?
2: I didn't really get into Bats until college. They were living in one of the dorms that my friend was in. So they started showing up in hallways and from there I started doing a little bit more research and they don't have the best PR so I thought that's something maybe I could could have an effect on.
1: They do have a pretty bad
0: PR. (laughs) They do. They get bad PR. I'm always surprised when I'm watching something and they're like, oh no! bat it's tangled in my hair i'm gonna have rabies now and i'm like is that a thing i didn't think i never heard that as a kid
2: the rabies thing gets overblown a bit because sick bats are so much more likely to come into contact with people than healthy bats so there's a sampling mm-hmm. bias there but less than one percent of the wild population has rabies at any given time
1: now does rabies uh is rabies species or group uh taxon specific for bats or can they all get it
2: all mammals can get it. You don't find it as much in rodents because things that would bite them to transmit rabies tend to bite them lethally. Like a squirrel, if it gets bit by a rabid, you know, raccoon is not going to survive that bite. So,
1: mm. but are there more? Are there specific species of bat that are more likely?
2: Um, it seems like the silver-haired bat, for whatever reason, is more likely or is found more often with rabies than uh, you'd expect. But the big one is actually vampire bats because they feed on blood. They're specifically biting other animals all the time. And there was a really interesting talk at uh, Mm NASBR about giving them a herpes virus that was spliced to produce some rabies virus proteins so that the bats would then generate an immune response and become immune to rabies. Is that oh, Darcy, cool. do you want an insight? No, that is that is that's, Desi that's I'm going to go deal with. <laughs>
1: okay,
0: yeah, that's true. Was, who was yowling at the door?
2: Yeah, so, so we'll Father, father me back.
0: Father,
1: let me, let me in, Father. Father, you're cruel. Cruel, Father. You're, father. you're cruel, <laughs> master, Father. I love Victorian cats.
0: <laughs> Every cat is just a reincarnated Victorian. Oh, yeah. Every <laughs> single one. Father,
1: father I can't believe well. you've done this. Mother, where are my kisses?
0: But I need
1: my kisses Oh, that's going to show up at the end of a show somewhere. for sure!
0: (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be like, ah, yes, cat content, my favorite content. (laughs) So we should say that there is uh, an obscure character based on the bat already. (laughs) You may know him as (laughs) Batman. (laughs) is he the batman this is the question that comes up every single time you mention a hero is it the character or is it a just the character he's superman he's not the superman but he might
2: be the batman Hmm. well one thing i liked about the robert pattinson batman movie is that he was very much telling people that his name was vengeance the whole time I,
0: i thought that was the funniest thing on the planet the whole time he was like it's vengeance and everyone's like no man you're the batman and he's like no i'm vengeance
1: it was that, such a subtle joke
0: so good i no, he says it a lot in both the comics and the animated series he would say i am vengeance i am the knight i am batman and so i think it's just kind of a play on that but i think it's very apt to assume that bruce wayne did not name himself batman mm, because it's kind of a stupid name yeah. Take all the context away from it that we know it and, and love it and it's such an icon now. But if someone came up to you and said, I'm raccoon man, you'd be like, That's ridiculous. Yeah, get out of here. Name yeah. yeah. <laughs> name yourself better. So he wanted to in at least in the Robert Pattinson uh version, he wanted to be called Vengeance. I like <laughs> but that. That's kind of fun. Felt, it was so subtle. It was such a great like he's bad at this you guys like secretly he's actually not good at this he's also i
1: still have not seen this movie i need to oh i need to watch it i like robert pattinson and i thought watching the trailers that he looked you do love
0: a dirty dirty man and he is a dirty 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 man (laughs) dirty little hobo man in in this version yeah i i liked parts of it i i had some issues with some parts of it i the things i had issue with were more the um the movie making aspects than like any of the story or anything oh. like they spend a long time just like with lingering shots of explosions and you're like we get oh. it <laughs> <laughs> we get it it's <laughs> on fire we get it
1: <laughs> well how um if we're to- if we're talking batman derek how yeah. does batman match up to real bats how many legs? do you give the bat? No, no power. How many
2: wings does the
0: bat get? How, how many wing segments? How many knuckle bones? <laughs> so,
2: yeah, he doesn't match up in, in many ways. I mean, he can't fly for one. Uh, that's probably the biggest thing that bats have going for them. <laughs> the group of bats is called the Order of Bats, I should say is chiroptera which means hand wing so they have all the same dexterity in those wings that we have in our hands they have a slightly reduced index finger but otherwise all of those joints are there so they're actually able to generate more lift per wing beat than a bird does or an insect and that allows them to generate a lot of really unique acrobatic features which you know batman being an acrobat that kind of checks out but they're up there doing flips, spinning around. Their wings are proportionally much heavier compared to the, their body, compared to a bird, because they have, you know, their bones aren't hollow. Yeah. So they're able to throw an arm out and then use that to flip like a gymnast. Really impressive little guys. They will flip around. I mean, every time they land, they have to do a full flip. And let's see. I got to find my notes here. I got too many tabs open. <laughs> so I would, I would argue that so far Nightwing sounds more
0: like a bat than Batman does. <laughs> yeah.
2: And actually Nightwing, if you're going to map him onto a nocturnal bird, it would be a nightjar, which yeah. is a a small, very camouflaged bird that hunts at dawn and dusk, just like a bat does.
1: When I worked for my state's uh, division of fish and wildlife, I was uh, doing some research on uh, endangered bird species And uh, when I was doing grassland birds, because I've also worked with shorebirds, I found uh, several common nightjar nests, and they nest on the ground in little divots. And who did she not like me being near her (laughs) baby? She she swooped you? She would get up and she'd dive bomb, and she also made this crazy noise. Um, And everyone should Google what a nightjar looks like with its mouth open. It is a lot. Uh, but beautiful, I think really cool looking, very camouflaged bird. Really
2: neat. Amanda, you've probably seen the Putu. That is a yes, I've seen nature. the Putu.
1: Oh, okay. Yes, I have seen the Putu. Mm-hmm. In
0: particular, is related to the Witcher memes, because the uh-huh. contacts on the Witcher are not quite right. <laughs> yeah, I have
2: a hard time looking <laughs> at his eyes. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. They should have just CGI'd it in later, but that's fine.
2: So Batman does have a cape. And in, I think it's the Nolan movies, there's some fancy tech gadget that uh, Mr. Fox gives him to let him make those that cape go rigid. And in yeah. that way, it does kind of resemble a wing uh, with the patagium, which is that skin going between the fingers. Mm-hmm. And in that patagium, there are actually tiny muscles that they can flex at different times to change the air resistance of the wing mid-flight. And there's tiny hairs that give them very acute uh, sensitivity the wind currents as they're flying so that that is a pretty pretty special structure that they have in their wings and they can use that to grab prey in the air and then deliver to their mouth and they also many bats have a another kind of a third wing going between their feet that they can use to scoop things up
1: they they scoop with it
2: they can scoop yes
0: so can i've heard that a bat can't glide
2: is that true no they can glide uh it very much depends on the size of the bat Okay, okay uh bats are heavy compared to birds because they they're not full of air sacs. Their bones are solid, so by comparison, a bat the size of a robin needs a wingspan similar to the, that of a crow. So they have much larger wings proportionally, and that's just because they're having to scoop so much air out of the
0: way to keep themselves aloft.
2: Yeah, they don't have like an airfoil the same way that a bird does with the feathers. So it's gliding more like a flying squirrel than gliding Mm. like a red-tailed hawk.
1: Oh, okay. It's it's like a
2: controlled fall.
0: (laughs) They're falling with style, these bats.
2: (laughs) Okay, so I've uploaded a couple of videos into the live chat.
0: It seems like they're really working hard to launch from the ground.
2: Yeah, most bats are not very skilled at taking off from the ground, so it's usually recommended if you find a bat, first of all, don't touch it with your bare hands. Mm -hmm. Uh, Use a stick to lift it up and put it in a tree. Their back feet are adapted for hanging. So if you can get those the stick underneath those back feet, they'll kind of latch on automatically. And then you can just kind of droop him into a tree. And then come nightfall, he'll probably take off on his own. And if if they don't leave, then it's recommended contacting a wildlife rehabilitator.
0: Oh man. Okay, so I'm watching these videos and the it's the the bat approaching whatever he wants to land on. And then just kicking them feet up so he can land on it which of course makes sense because the stereotype is that they're upside down because that's how they hang out literally hang about but i i just i haven't thought about like i'm gonna come in for a landing upside down
1: it's quite the the scooping motion up into the, the ceiling here so what watching the the bats you know go upside down have to be upside down for for me that would be very uncomfortable on my face because all the blood will rush to my head. Do bats have a a sort of adapted circulatory system for being upside down for so long?
2: Bats have a lot of really cool adaptations for their extreme lifestyle of hanging upside down and flight and, and, echolocating and all of these. And there, a lot of them have feedback loops into each other. Like their lung capacity is about 72% larger than it would be for an equivalently sized mammal. And their hearts are somewhere between one and 2% of their body mass. So that is a huge heart for wow. such a small little guy. And those hearts can beat up to a thousand times per minute when they get going. One of the things about flying is that you're shoving all that blood to the ends of your wings So they they have those muscles in their wings to contract the stiffness of the patagium, but they also have little muscles that kind of act as secondary hearts to pump that blood back to the body. So having a larger heart, having adaptations to keep that blood flowing around all kind of contribute to keeping that blood flowing. And their blood cells are actually smaller than in other mammals, so they have Mm -hmm. a higher surface area to deliver more oxygen per red blood cell as they go through their bodies. Does that...
0: Yeah, that's, I, I, I'm just thinking about the implications of like little not quite pumps throughout their body.
2: I am more familiar with behavioral and ecology aspects of bats mm-hmm. versus uh, physiological ones. So a lot of my if you ask me specific questions about their physiology, I may not know the answer and I'll have to look that up and then edit it in later.
1: Yeah, that's fine. Um, I don't know everything about every bug so you're not you can't know every every specific part of you know of an. and we
2: should say that there are 14,000 species of bats over 14,000 species of bats that have been discovered so far and so only a few of those have really been studied in depth and there's so much Mm -hmm. that we don't know echolocation was only discovered in the 1950s that's crazy oh
1: really it's that recent it's like plate tectonics, which was only really considered a theory in the 60s. Isn't that insane? <laughs> <laughs> plate
0: tectonics. The modern era is so much shorter than I
2: think it is.
1: <laughs> well, oh, do you have crazy. a favorite, uh, favorite bat,
2: Derek? It varies uh, back and forth. Uh, the one I probably see the most often, and so I'm always excited to see, is probably the big brown bat. They have a lot of really cool adaptations. They're probably the most urban bat at this point, at least mm. in North America because they'll regularly use houses and things. They don't exhibit the same amount of lunar phobia, so bats are afraid of the moon. They don't like bright lights, so light pollution affects bats quite a lot. Uh, Sound pollution does as well, but big brown bats seem to exhibit less of a negative effect from light pollution compared to some other species, so they do better in urban areas. They're called the big brown bat, but they're still pretty small, uh, only a little bit larger than a mouse.
1: Hmm. What's the, the distribution of the big brown bat? They North go
2: America. up into Canada, down uh, to Central America, I believe. They, it's a pretty big range. Most of the United I, States has them.
1: East, east to west, too.
2: Yes, yeah, full range.
1: Wow, it's then, it's really unusual for a, a mammal like that to have, I think, full east west uh, distribution. It's possible.
2: Right. It's cryptic, like that. There could be multiple species. That's always a possibility mm-hmm. with bats. Uh, They can hybridize to some extent within their genus, and a lot of the species can only really be distinguished by their echolocation calls or if you do genetic testing.
1: Oh, interesting. Wow. Yeah, so
2: each bat species sings a very specific echolocation song, and they'll sing songs to attract mates and things. But that's something that we've only really found out about since we discovered echolocation 50 years ago. And there's a lot of research that goes into that and trying to establish call libraries of different bat species. So there's Tons of bats that we're probably missing because we don't have a full echolocation repertoire for different parts of the world.
1: Is that how the different species distinguish each other as well through their calls?
2: That's definitely part of it. Uh, We know that they do a lot of different behaviors with echolocation, such as eavesdropping. So they will listen for where other bats are foraging to find the best places to hunt insects. And they will... (laughs) Smart. uh, They'll actually some species will jam each other. So they'll yell, hey, 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 or whatever, to get another bat to miss an insect during its approach.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so they're jerks.
2: They can be. They, some of them are territorial to some extent. So the hoary bat, which is one of the larger species in the United States, they're beautiful creatures. H-O-A-R-Y, hoary. Uh Like they're covered in frost because they, they kind of have a silvery color to them. And they patrol edge habitats, particularly. It's one of their favorite spots. So uh, we're in meadow meets a uh, line of trees and they will kind of defend that area from other bats and chase them off.
1: Oh, they're very cute. I just looked up the photo. Amanda, so check much information. out this bat. It's adorable. Oh,
0: oh, I'll, I'll slide over. Uh, so much information just got dropped into my brain hole just now. <laughs> it's was like in a very short amount of time. But the one that's sending me the most is that bats are afraid of the moon. <laughs> Makes no sense at all. They're <laughs> just like flying through the air, like ah, ah, there it is. Ah, ah, ah. Oh, look at that little guy. Look at that hoary bat. Oh, He's oh so cute looks... and I've heard that I I know that this term sometimes gets thrown around and people don't like it, but Sky Puppy is a very apt
1: description <laughs> of this bat. He looks well, soft. What? They looks so like they're soft. Fur soft.
2: I think it's uh the Krogan and Mass Effect are actually modeled after some bats like this.
0: Oh my gosh! I just can't stop looking into his soulful eyes.
2: <laughs> so, being afraid of the moon is actually uh, being afraid of owls and predators like that, oh, because having more moonlight uh, lets those predators, which hunt by vision, catch the bats more easily compared I see. to total I
0: darkness. It's, it's much funnier if they're like wear bats and they're
2: yeah yeah afraid <laughs> of the moon. So the moon. <laughs> yeah, there's some some difference in the amount of bat activity you'll find on full moon or brightly lit nights than you will on new moons so they're not like i don't even want to say moths because moths
0: Mm -hmm. will often gather around like lamps and stuff so is it unlikely that even though there's a ton of moths around the lamp that a bat will come by and scoop those little mothy guys up
2: so that's one of the things that we've seen in the past decade or so as cities have switched out their lights So different lights attract insects at different rates, different types of lights. So the Mm -hmm. old mercury vapor bulbs attract insects like crazy. The newer LED ones do not seem to have that same impact. So as places have changed their lighting in urban areas, they've also affected the insect and thus the bat population dynamics in those areas. And I've seen that there are some cities which have switched out their lights for red lamps which may have less of an impact on the insects and the bats, but there's still a lot that we don't know about how light pollution plays a role in urban environments.
1: The thing with the lights is, um, uh, the lights that we used to use before, now we're switching to LEDs. Uh, those le- former lights would put heat off, and insects are attracted to heat.
0: Oh, so it's um, light and heat that they're the yeah, bones are
1: at. and and the LEDs are the wrong, um, they're the wrong wavelength, the wrong light wavelength. So, the insects are less attracted to those as well. So, if that, that's helpful, Man, <laughs> that's helpful at all. Thinking about like that's the
0: intersection now between the bats and the bugs. <laughs> bugs Eat <laughs> heroes podcast.
2: Yeah, moths in particular have a lot of really unique adaptations for avoiding bats. Mm-hmm. There's even some moth species that have switched to becoming diurnal to avoid the bats. And I'm going to drop a picture in the chat of one of my favorite bats that has some pretty unique adaptations for catching moths
0: well we've mentioned i think in episode two with isabella that some moths will radiate a different sound to like try and block out the more sophisticated than just going hey 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 this is my tree hey (laughs) hey 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 hey, these are my bugs is that they they've created some sort of
1: jamming effect with their frequencies some of them can do that um others have long uh, sort of long tails on the end of their wings and while they fly these tails create um, confusing motion which messes up bat echolocation too
0: oh so like a is that i guess swallowtails a butterfly so that's maybe not uh, quite pi- the same thing
1: picture like a luna moth have you ever seen a luna yeah, moth? yeah yeah like the that, long the long tail yeah. tails yeah
0: interesting i never knew what those were for i just assumed they were aesthetic in some way but <laughs>
1: The ladies love them. The ladies
0: are just like, oh, look at his long tails. Oh my goodness.
2: So I've dropped oh, in the Discord a picture, a picture of the spotted bat, which is a species that we do have in Oregon. It's found in the Western United States in arid regions. It is a moth specialist. So it particularly hunts those moths that have ears by echolocating at a lower frequency. So most bats we can't hear because they're, you know, using ultrasound. But Spotted bats have a pitch that is lower than ultrasound, so the moths can't hear them because the moths are adapted to hearing the bat ultrasound. So it's kind of like a stealth fighter version of a bat.
0: Appropriate that it hunts moths given that its ears are so large that it <laughs> reminds me of like the really furry antenna that we've been seeing on on our moth species on the podcast. That His ears even kind of resemble the moth antenna,
1: <laughs> just so huge. So Derek, why, thinking about that, um, why do some bats have these very large ears and others have little tiny ears?
2: Yeah. If they're
0: all using echolocation, wouldn't they all need big ears?
2: They aren't. They aren't all using echolocation. That's what it comes down to. So these huge ears, um, for the spotted bat, they're actually like a third of its body length. And there's some evidence if you put a little bat in a wind tunnel that those ears actually will generate some lift. And that's important because...
0: (laughs) Oh, that's so cute. (laughs) It's like a bunny. Like, that's how big the ears are. It's like a a bunny trying to fly through the sky.
2: These bats are sometimes called whisper bats with these huge ears. They're not echolocating actively to find insects, they're listening for the sounds the insects generate themselves. This Mm. hunting strategy is called gleaning, and in contrast to hawking, which is where you catch them out of the air. Mm -hmm. So, there's in one of the BBC Attenborough specials, there's a fantastic clip. I think it's Life of Mammals, where, uh, I think it is a brown big-eared bat is hunting a moth or a katydid or something on a on a leaf. And the moth is being so still because it knows if it moves, the bat will detect it.
0: I I do have to say, you said there's 14,000 bat For, variations.
2: 1,400.
0: Okay, sorry. Oh, that was a way bigger number. It's a big difference. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 1,400 is nothing to sneeze at. Uh. That's a lot of variations of what is essentially the same shape of little guy, big wings. And uh, so far we've had names like spotted bat, big brown bat, little bat, bat that's in my house. Like they all seem to have like the most banal names, just like, "Eh, look at that bat. What color is it? Uh, It's brown. Is it big or is it small? It's big.
2: Yeah, the common (laughs) names match much more closely than you get with birds sometimes.
1: Are there any particularly funny, b- common names for bats that aren't just?
2: There is a spectacle bat, spectacle? Um, which looks like it has glasses. It's no blue-footed
1: booby,
0: but I'll allow
1: it. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> the bat people. Are, the speaking bird of spectacles, are Derek. Uh, the whole blind as a bat trope. What can you tell us about their eyesight?
2: Yeah, if they're not all
0: using echolocation, the are there are there any of them that are using sight specific?
2: So all of the big fruit bats, the flying foxes, all rely on sight. They cannot echolocate. And there's a big debate over whether bats developed echolocation first or flight first. Mm. Uh, If they developed echolocation first, then that means that bats lost the ability to echolocate.
0: The flying foxes and stuff.
2: Yeah. And there may be a, there's a good physiological reason for that. I mean, essentially echolocating is a free action when you're flapping your wings cuz you're already breathing out with each wing beat kind of. But when you're larger, you're making fewer wing beats. So that then becomes less easy well, wait, to do. Derek,
1: can you can you explain for the listeners how how a bat creates echolocation?
2: Yeah, for most of them it's basically screaming. So <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, cuz they're they're using their their larynx to generate sounds. There's a a sm- one genus of fruit eating bats that does it by clicking their tongue, but generally it's it's tied to their lungs just like our speech is. Okay. And there's there's some that do echolocate through their nose, which is kind of like humming, but for other ones it is basically screaming. And so that's why you see a lot of pictures of bats <laughs> with their mouths open when they're flying. It's they're echolocating in flight. Very
0: cool. Very very cool. And that's different from from like whales who you echolocate in what
2: way boils would be similar to uh humming that same way Mm. they have a a melon organ in their head that essentially reverberates and focuses the sound that they make by sort of like humming but they're not breathing out at the same time they're forcing air through their their body
1: they for yeah they force it up through that top part of their head to create the vibration
2: right 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 the 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 big old
1: forehead
0: that we see on so many of them that five head that that yeah (laughs) If you've if seen so. a, what is it, Finding Dory. They uh have an interesting character who <laughs> needs to echo locate and can't. I I need to
1: use the bathroom. Sorry. Hold on. Alright, <laughs> be
2: free. Okay, so I uploaded a picture of that spectacled bat into the chat so you can see him. Let's
1: see. Oh, he's cute. He does look like he's wearing little glasses. Oh
0: yeah. That's it. that's a, he's a teddy bear of a bat. Mm-hmm.
2: Their vision is probably comparable to that of a cat. Whereas most bats would probably be more comparable to a dog or a uh, a rat, so they don't have great color vision because they're adapted to seeing at night. But over long distances, that's kind of what they would use to navigate, because you can see the horizon. Some bats can even see into the UV uh, to go to flowers or polarized light mm. to navigate.
1: Yeah, can you talk about one of one of my favorite topics? Is um, bats as pollinators?
2: Yeah, so there bats All have these been secret pollinators. Yeah, I love it. I love a mind. secret pollinator. <laughs> yeah, so bats have been observed to be. Sorry, I just clicked something, so that's something I'm going to have to edit out. So hold on, <laughs> let me go back. That's
1: okay. Reset.
2: <laughs> so bats have been documented visiting over 500 different flower species, and that's that represents dif- about 70 different plant families, and that's they'll awesome. spread seeds of even more than that. I mean. Well, maybe not more than that. A lot of seeds because (laughs) bats aren't afraid to fly over open spaces the way that birds are. So they represent one of the primary seed dispersals for disturbed forests, particularly rainforests, because they'll eat those plants, fly over some open area, poop in the whole way because bats have a high volume, low processing gut strategy. They don't have an appendix either. But so they're eating as much as they can, getting as nutrients as fast as they can, and then getting the rest out. Similar to like an elephant. So they're not like letting oh, that ferment or whatever inside their guts to get more digestion. Because the more weight you have, the harder it is to fly.
1: right? So uh, that's well, why bats eat so many insects. With, with birds, it's usually um, a bird will defecate before takeoff. And it's to kind of lighten their body load. Uh-huh. Because weight is really important for birds. It's why their bones are hollow. Dude, bats are just pooping all the time. It's not a pre-flight Three, and
2: in check. the breeze <laughs> yeah it's a lot of poop and for for insect eating bats you can distinguish their poop from mice poop because although they're the same size bat poop is mostly insect exoskeletons so it crumbles mm. if you touch it and it is, has some shininess to it. it's little almost sparkly but yeah bats are pooping a lot that's is
0: insectivore poop also what's the word guano is it, and is there a distinction between guano and just other kinds? Because so far we've talked about bats that eat fruit, bats that eat bugs, bats that drink blood. And then it sounds like pollinators. I When I hear pollinator, I, I hear drinks nectar. I don't know if that's technically true, uh, but that's what my brain associates with. Is there, because it's all just guano or is guano like specifically those cave bats where it's filling up the floor?
2: I think if you look at like the word used historically, it was meant to connote highly valuable fertilizer. So like okay. a cave where you could mine the guano to use it for saltpeter, you know, explosives um, or fertilizer. So in that sense, it was also used to denote uh, seabird poop because oh okay um, yeah you get marine islands where you have all of the like terns or puffins or whatever coming and they poop a whole lot there and you can go mine it and then use that for different industrial uses because that was mm. one of the historic ways to get a lot of nitrogen so in caves bats are still extremely important because they're the link between the sun and the cave system so all of these little bugs that live only in these caves are dependent on bat poop because that's the way that they get energy from the they're
0: sun. okay i see so they're bringing foreign things into the cave that the other bugs rely on
2: yeah, and they can actually alter the cave ecosystem quite a lot. Like there's some evidence that having bats in a mine will change the deposition of stalactites and stalagmites. By, Is that because changing.
0: of like heat or It's or... more the chemicals. Oh, okay.
2: So they'll change the acidity of the environment and there's some bats which are technically classified as extremophiles because the caves they live in have such extreme ammonia that mm, right. other animals cannot survive.
0: Famously stinky, these bat caves.
2: <laughs> yeah, and I've heard actually that the uh, the flying foxes are stinkier than these caves.
0: I think anything that eats fruit is going to cause a, a stinky sensation.
2: <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of conflict in Australia uh, around these flying fox camps where they will move into a park because all of the natural areas have been deforested. So these parks are some of the last roosts available. And they oh, so so there's a big tree
0: at 4th and Mill Plane. <laughs> and then, oh no, the, the flying foxes have moved into Mill Plain Park and now it stinks.
2: Yes, that, that can be part uh-huh. of the conflict. Also, that aside from the smell, uh, they can be quite noisy. Bats are very chatty creatures, they're very social. So they spend a lot of time talking to each other and at each other.
1: Interesting. Uh, speaking of social, we did have a, a listener question from uh, Marcus in New York City do social bats have like a hierarchical
2: structure? That's hard to say because a lot of bats have not been studied in depth for their social systems. Cause it's hard to study bats in the wild in a lot of cases. Like uh, this is kind of a newer issue, but the glue that was being used to affix radio tags has been discontinued. So there is a big, oh. yeah, there was a, there was a <laughs> oh, big no. uh, subject of debate <laughs> and discussion at what the, a
0: niche problem. Oh, guys, we're out of the body glue. <laughs> it's <laughs> gone. There's no more body
1: glue.
2: Yeah, so studying bats can be fairly fraught in that way. But one of the best studied bats with regards to social systems is the vampire bat. And there is a professor at, I think he's at The Ohio State University, uh, Dr. Jerry Carter, who has a website socialbat.org. And he studies the social systems of vampire bats. And they have a matriarchal structure. So it's popular mm-hmm. females. Kind of rule the roost and that comes down to who shares with whom vampire bats have to eat regularly or they will starve to death blood isn't very nutritious so they have to eat about every 72 hours or so so to get around this they will actually regurgitate some of their blood to another bat that is starving and missed a meal oh so, wow it's a really intense relationship that they have it starts out with like grooming that's a lot of and- trust yes mm-hmm. yeah, yeah yeah and there's a whole system of who shares with whom, which order you go to ask for food. It's a lot a lot of really complex stuff. And check out socialbat.org. He's got tons of pictures and videos of the little bats doing what looks like French kissing each other to share the <laughs> blood back and <laughs> forth. <forward. laughs>
0: well, vampires, famously sexy. so yeah. <laughs> And Rice, look out. These vampires but
2: bats. live in matriarchal structures. So it'll be the bats coming together during the summer or their breeding season all the females together and the males will roost separately perhaps individually or in small groups but the big colonies that we think of as you know a bat colony is generally females and during the mating season though different bats have different strategies some of them do lecking which is where one bat will display and attract females to his spot and hey, kind check of out a, my pad <laughs> yeah yeah it's like a little convention where all the bats you know, this is what I'm selling. Come check me out, and they're you know honking with their various perfumes that they produce their, themselves, singing songs with the little honking noises. Uh, the the hammerheaded bat is probably one of the best examples of this, as they are so extremely sexually dimorphic. They're actually my least favorite bat because they're they're kind of hideous, and people <laughs> are they're
0: the the howler monkeys
1: of bats.
2: <laughs> <laughs> they look like the Jersey Devil. Is the best way oh. to describe them. Oh, 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 I've seen
1: those before. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What um? So this, I guess, this was also, I think, a listener question from, uh, I think it was Clarice, and how how do they choose their mates then? What are some of the more, I guess, interesting mate finding, or uh, mate, other than speed dating
0: conventions? <laughs>
1: you yeah. see, with birds, males have to be very colorful and vibrant. Mm-hmm. Um, what what's going on with bats?
2: Uh, there is a, uh, I believe it's the Chapin's free-tailed bat is probably the best, showiest of the male bats, where it has a full mohawk that it can extend. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> and there are others that have shoulder Paul plumes Fry. that come out as little epaulets, and they do little dances when they have these, these long hairs to spread their fragrance. And then there's a few others that will have little sacks in their wings, and they use those to store their scent, and then they kind of waft the perfume by hovering in front of a female.
0: I didn't realize bats were so scent heavy.
2: Yeah, you don't think about it as much, but for a lot of mammals, there is, I mean, mammals evolved from small nocturnal animals that would rely on scent quite a lot. So it makes sense that some of that is held over.
0: So we talked briefly about the the sharing of, of blood via regurgitation. I've also heard a rumor that, that some kinds of bats will adopt babies that have been left behind.
2: We know that's true in vampire bats, at least in captive vampire bats. Uh, how much it's happening in the wild may come from a, a fundamental misunderstanding of bats. Mm. So there is a bat species in uh, the southwest United States going down into South America called the Mexican fruit bat. And they form huge maternity colonies in caves. There's 20 million or so in one cave in Texas, Bracken Cave. They're the ones that live in the bridge in Austin. And researchers went into these caves and they found all of these little baby bats together in a creche up to 500 little bats in one square foot. So huge numbers of bats. And they just kind of assumed that the mother bats were just flying in here and nursing, whichever bat they came. Upon oh, first. Okay.
0: Okay. The duck but, strategy.
2: <laughs> yeah. And eventually was revealed that no, they're finding their specific pup. They're remembering the sound their baby makes and the smell it has, and where they left it. So less duck,
0: more penguin.
2: Yes. Yeah, that'd be a good way to compare. (laughs) So in that regard, the adoption may be a little bit of a misconception Mm -hmm. from that Mm -hmm. early assumption. But we know that for vampire bats, they have an extended adolescence because they have to learn how to feed from arguably the most challenging thing they can do. I mean, a cow, which is their primary food source usually, weighs, you know, a thousand times what they do and could easily crush them with a step so they have a protracted adolescence and are extremely social because they're living with their mother their aunts their sisters in mm. a group
0: that's interesting so we've talked about rabies and the the cliche of like it's in my hair uh if i'm worried about being bit by a bat specifically the vampire bat where are the vampire bats so i could
2: not go there <laughs> vampire bats live in uh central and south america so there there's been like one sighting of a different bat so there's three different vampire bat species only one of them feeds from mammals regularly oh and there's okay been, there's been one of the other species that was found in texas one time 50 plus years ago so it's not a really going concern for the united states currently And I know that there is periodic monitoring by the U.S. Department of Agriculture for those bats, as that would cause some alarm among cattle ranchers, to be sure.
1: Mm -hmm. The amount of
2: blood they take is like two tablespoons or less than that. So it's not very much blood, but the concern is that they could spread disease. And the other thing they do is because they're biting these cows, they cause the leather to be lower quality.
1: (laughs) Because they got little scar marks in the leather? Yes. Oh, what uh? What other mammals do they feed off of?
2: It's mostly livestock at this point, so yeah, uh, just because it, of the livestock's around
1: availability. Yeah, yeah, sure. but yeah. they
2: they've been documented feeding from cougars, uh, tapirs, <laughs> sea lions, so they're pretty pretty varied in that way.
1: Oh, okay, they're generalists. Then.
2: Yeah, and they will remember the name of a or not the name, but the sound <laughs> of the breath of an animal making. So they will return to that visit of that same animal once once they find it night after night if they know where it's at.
0: I remember the sound of your breath. <laughs>
2: like, More sexy, intense.
0: sexy vampires sexy vampires. I'm here for your
2: breath. <laughs> yeah, they're they're probably the, one of the most unique mammals of all because they have such a unique niche that they fill. Nothing else quite does that. The other vampire bats feed from birds primarily. Oh, okay. Mm.
0: Uh, that would be difficult, aren't they? Roughly the same
2: size. Uh, larger birds like chickens would be a, a common one. Oh, okay. That makes more sense. But the, what they do is they sneak up on a bird that's sleeping while it's in a perch and they crawl on the underside of the branch to bite its little toesies. Oh. And vampires bats actually produce what could be called venom. So for those ones that feed on birds, their saliva, uh, softens the keratin a little bit on the bird's feet so they can bite mm. it more easily. Whereas for the other vampires, or I guess them as well their saliva contains an anticoagulant to make the blood flow for longer. And this was being investigated for a potential medi- medical use in humans, but I like think mosquitoes. the for that have stopped. Yeah. Yeah. And just like mosquitoes in that way.
1: Interesting. Amanda's faces is, is a lot right now. <laughs> I'm just thinking about, i sorry. I was just thinking
0: about vampire bats as like, it just doesn't seem like a winning strategy to me to be like, oh, I'm going to come steal your blood. It just doesn't, it just seems like it's a really difficult thing to do. Um, for I, I, if I had to get blood from someone else, that would be really difficult for me to do without like literally fighting them. And so they've really developed this sneaky way of just sneaking <laughs> up on you and taking just a little bit of your blood and then flitchering away to go French kiss it into
1: their friend's mouth. It's just, <laughs> I can see the appeal of being a vampire. <laughs> for evolution it just has to work it it doesn't have to work it doesn't have to be easy it just
0: has to work
2: and the crazy part is their closest relatives are probably nectar feeding bats
0: so so what you're telling me is the cow is the flower (laughs) (laughs) and his nectar is the blood
2: (laughs) yeah they they have a lot of really cool adaptations for this lifestyle including that they have heat sensors in their nose to detect mm-hmm. where the blood is closest to the surface, because mm-hmm. that's where it's going to be warmest on the cow or, or the pig or, or whoever. They're technically a leaf-nosed bat, although they have such a short little face. Leaf-noses have evolved in bats to direct those echolocation calls through their nose. So they can essentially aim those by focusing their nose like, by how they, they, they got scrunch, a, scrunch it up.
1: A, a, it looks like a, a little leaf-dish. Yeah. yeah it's it's a like a radar
2: point. dish on their face.
0: A radar dish right on their face. Which you don't see as much anymore, the radar dish.
1: So, uh, Derek, I'd like to ask a question that I'm assuming a lot of people will be thinking about this. Uh, What's going on with white nose syndrome? Mm. Can you talk to us about that?
2: So I just got back from the North American Symposium on Bat Research. And I skipped every single white-nose session because they kind of bummed me out.
0: <laughs> yeah, fair <Aww>. enough.
2: <laughs> so white-nose syndrome is a fungus that came over from Europe, and it grows on hibernating bats' bodies and irritates them and essentially wakes them up from hibernation. Each time a bat wakes up from hibernation, it loses several weeks of stored energy that it could be using for hibernation because they raise their body temperature up. Bats can essentially become, or some bats can essentially become, cold-blooded during parts of the year. So they lower their body temperature down to ambient. So each time they get woken up by this fungus growing on them, they lose some of their savings and they eventually starve. Since it was found in 2006, it has spread to the majority of states and has caused millions and millions of bats to die prematurely. There is some good news in that some of those caves that were affected early on have seen their numbers increase since then. So some bats have survived and are recovering but it'll still be quite a long time mm-hmm. as bats generally only have one baby per year.
1: Mm. Um, is uh, is white nose only in North America?
2: No, North the fungus America? has been found in Europe and Asia. So it's it not has. that those okay. bats survived it at some point or co-evolved with it. So they don't see the same mortalities and it doesn't affect all hibernating bat species. It seems to affect some more than others. Like the Townsend big-eared bat does not seem to be affected.
1: Okay. Oh, well, those poor bats.
2: Yeah, just that what a horrible way to go. That you just like wake up and you're like, oh
1: no,
0: fungus. Yeah, it wakes
2: them up, and then they they'll sometimes leave the cave and go out searching for like water or insects. And because it's winter time, those aren't available. So they're mm. burning even more energy than just waking up.
0: So you said they only have one pup a year. Is that because they're oh, the vampire bat? You said they had a extended. They have kind of a teenage dome where they're learning how to be good little ninjas. But uh, are they good moms? The way that we talked briefly on this podcast that like insects aren't good moms. They kind of don't care much.
1: De- but, depends uh, on the species. But yeah, depends insects are not we good
0: haven't, We haven't talked about, uh, about a mothering bug yet, but... We will. Our, we will. We will. I'm sure we will get there. But bats are good moms?
2: Yeah. We, bats have extremely large babies. So when a oh. bat pup is born, it's somewhere between 20 and 40% of its mother's body weight.
1: Oh, that poor
0: mama! Oh no! I mean, and as someone who gave birth to a nine-pound baby, let me tell you, <laughs> they get you.
2: Yeah, and then they uh, they got to produce milk for that baby. So, pregnant and lactating bats will consume huge amounts of food during that time. Mm.
1: Uh, do they have twins sometimes?
2: There are a few species which have twins, uh, but generally, bats are, are having one pup per year. Oh. I think the
1: one
0: little puppy under each wing that's so cute
2: the hoary bat can have up to four at a time oh my gosh Um, and bats in that genus can can have multiples twinning is is the common strategy for them but most bats it's just one one very large baby that takes a lot of resources (laughs) but then will be independent by the end of the summer and the bat baby just clings on just for for a time okay but then she'll leave it behind once it gets too big at a crash site or in a tree or, you know, wherever the roost is.
0: So if a bat was flying and the baby was attached to it and then that baby fell off, but then landed in a bird's nest with
1: those birds. Is this a Disney movie? Are you quoting a a Disney movie right now? It's
0: a book called Stella Luna and it is the best book of all time. Uh, It's a story of a, a, I think it's a fruit bat that falls and lands in a bird's nest and so the birds raise it as a bird, and so it like has all this identity confusion about like
2: what's a bat, what's a bird.
0: Uh, happy. I, I told
2: king. you I met wow. the author, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Janelle Cannon. She's she's wonderful. Yeah, that bat is actually uh, she was inspired by a photo gallery in uh, National Geographic about the one of the epilated fruit bats from Africa that Merlin Tuttle took pictures of. They are extremely cute little bats, so highly recommend looking up pictures of epauleted fruit bats. And if you haven't read the book Stella Luna, it's extremely cute. The illustrations in it are breathtaking.
1: So you've met Merlin Tuttle, right?
2: Yes, yeah, I've met what, him a couple he times. Like? He he is uh, a luminary figure in bat conservation. He's been not too luminary this.
0: though, because the bats will be scared.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, his his uh, photography of bats has really change the way we view bats he's the founder of bat conservation international Mm -hmm. there's a great episode of 99 pi about his work with the bridge in austin so i I can't say enough good things about about the work that he's done
1: oh so sometimes you can meet your heroes
2: yeah he was he was one i was nervous about (laughs) but he's been great
1: that's always good to hear he's just a dude who loves bats and wants the bats to be
0: good (laughs) plus Plus, Merlin Tuttle what a name I'll probably
2: cut this from the podcast but at NASBUR (laughs) I happened to be walking past um, they had prints of his work for like auction and I walked past it as I was talking to him and Teresa his social media person and he like stopped to criticize everything about this amazing (laughs) picture he'd taken (laughs) it's like the composition is off it's bad the lighting is wrong classic artist
0: yeah, yeah all he sees is how it's not good oh yeah uh, yeah yeah we've all been there <laughs> the thing i had in my head was so much better than what came out but all anyone else sees is the thing so
2: but yeah we should direct people to merlin tuttle's website merlintuttle.org and look at his photo galleries because he has
1: yeah his his photos are gorgeous Absolutely yeah it's just thousands it.
0: of pictures of like the coolest pictures i've ever seen of bats they're so neat like if you've seen a poster of a bat it was probably taken by merlin Tuttle. Yeah. <laughs>
1: So I, I can't really do much for bats living in my apartment in a city, but for listeners who are in a more um, suburban or rural setting, is uh, what about bat houses? Can, how do you attract bats to your home? What, do we, what can we do for them?
2: Uh, the three things that seem to limit bat distribution are food availability, uh, water availability, and roost availability. In a lot of places, roosts are the limiting factor because they can commute to the other two resources. So bat houses are a great way to attract bats if you want them in your neighborhood. Uh, the things to keep in mind is that not all bat houses are created equal. The smaller ones do not seem to be as attractive to bats. Larger bat houses offer a wider variety of temperatures inside the house, and a more room for friends.
1: How, how big is a large bat house then? What are the measurements-ish?
2: Three chambers okay. or more seems to be better. You're looking at ones that are, you know, let's see, try to think. The small bat houses are tiny. So they're like the size of like a shoebox, and you yeah. want something
1: mm-hmm.
2: about the size of a fish tank. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I can pick two. Not that quite
2: those same dimensions, but bigger. So multiple chambers, it seems to be better. Uh, generally it seems that placing them up high seems to work better somewhere between eight and 15 feet. But I often see bats hanging out behind gutters on like the first story of a house. So height isn't <laughs> always the biggest thing. Oh, okay. So there are websites uh, like Merlin Tunnel has a list, Bat Conservation International has a list of bat houses, which they have looked at and approved those designs for.
1: Oh, that's great.
2: The bat house I have is from Bat Conservation and Management, which is from a bat consulting firm in Pennsylvania. And that one was super easy to hang up, had instructions and everything. The only difficult part was getting it up high on my house. But <laughs> that can be the trickiest part is is doing a pole mount or mounting it on the side of the house. Pole mounts seem to do a little bit better often. Can you mount them on trees? Trees are generally not recommended because of access to predators. And there's mm. a component of shade and that there's acoustic clutter, basically. So all the branches and mm. things make it harder for them to find. Uh, There's some new, more innovative designs that mimic the exfoliating bark of trees, and those may be more attractive if they were placed there, but a lot of the bat house research is ongoing. And we found that some of the old recommendations for bat houses are bad, like painting it a black color in some areas Mm. can lead to extremely high uh, temperatures on the inside that will kill the bats. So that's something that is still being investigated. So at this point paint seems to reduce decay, which can be good, but painting it a black color is probably not the best. Maybe a blue or something like that may work a little bit better depending on your latitude and how much sunlight you're going to get.
1: This reminds me, uh, speaking of hibernation in houses, do all bats hibernate?
2: No, no. Some bats migrate. Uh, So that hoary bat we looked at a picture of earlier, they can enter torpor, but mostly they seem to migrate. And we don't know where they go exactly, so the routes Hmm. they take... That has been a big problem for wind energy. So bats are not good at avoiding wind turbines. So they get too close to those and they'll get struck or they will experience barotrauma. So basically their lungs will burst. They get the bends in midair.
1: Wow. That's terrible. Oh, Oh, man.
2: Yeah. So aside from from, uh, white nose syndrome, wind energy is one of the major threats Mm. or irresponsible wind energy, I should say a major threat to bats Yeah, in many They locations. talk about
0: bird strike a lot with wind energy, but mm. bats are just as affected.
2: Yeah, I worked on a wind mortality survey and we caught many more bats than birds. Mm. So it may be that there's different structures, like the size of the wind turbine affects which species are going to be struck. Uh, the location certainly plays a role. If they're on or off during the night, like if you turn them off at low wind speed, you'll hit less bats because... <laughs> Higher winds, less insects are going to be flying. There's going to be less bats. But at lower wind speeds, those blades are huge. You've seen them going down the freeway. So at the tip of those, they can still be going crazy fast, fast enough to for a bat to not avoid it. Wow.
1: My gosh. all, oh, those poor bats.
0: <laughs> yeah, I just think about <laughs> exploding in midair. Oh. air. I'm just like,
2: ugh, dislike.
0: Uh, so let's go over some of this. The the pow- I, I haven't been drawing along because Ooh. we were kind of having a very special episode. Oh, no, I have not been drawing a line, I should say. Um, <laughs> I you said no, like, sorry, I got really you, I, excited. I, I, I thought Kelly heard me. <laughs> so we talked about that the hearing was excellent, obviously. And that's true of of all bats, even the ones that hunt fruits, that don't make a noise. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, yeah, they'd still be able to hear very well.
0: So if we were to make a bat character... Because we're Bugs Need Heroes. I think you'd have to make it a villain character. Because it'd have to eat our our, our friends, the bugs. I'm imagining big, long, spindly hands because of their big, their their wings. Um, we talked about that they're great singers. Really, I, guess, I guess we should compare to Bruce Wayne. <laughs> says, so if Bruce got bit by a radioactive bat, he would kill it on karaoke night. Because he just... had all the dance and singing skills he wanted. He could hear excellently fly, we talked about. He'd still be a member of the 1%, just (laughs) because that's how it works. Oh, he'd be a great father. I think we've seen that to be true. (laughs) With all those little robins running around. Uh, We haven't talked about, would a bat and a robin be friends?
2: Well, I want to go back to that great father comment, because there actually is a bat that was found where the males were lactating.
0: Oh, a little uh, daddy juice, huh? <laughs> oh, daddy juice, Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, got daddy juice. So, but, but
2: dad. We don't know if they were if nursing or if there was an element of parental investment or just like because uh, mal-
1: other some male other male mammals report. can lactate sometimes. Hum- human yeah. males if you can got lactate. nipples; you can lactate. Yeah.
2: yeah, so that was that was an investigation that needs to be followed up on. Was that finding? But it's something that I think is worth mentioning with all the comments about. The bat suit having nipples.
0: <laughs> oh, so maybe George wasn't doesn't need discounted quite so quickly.
2: It's on the Val Kilmer bat suit too.
0: Is it on the Val Kilmer suit? Yeah. Yes, oh, it is. Okay, He's I'll have to nips. check.
2: So you asked about robins. Uh, yes,
0: robins. Would a are, bat and a robin be friends? Like no. a la Stella
2: Luna. <laughs> no, no, they would oh, not. Sad. There is uh, a bat species in Europe called the greater noctule, which hunts migrating songbirds in flight.
1: Oh, wow.
0: That's amazing. So they're both flying and then the bat just takes him out?
2: Yes. So these songbirds are migrating at night to avoid predatory raptors. And (sighs) the bats are large enough that they have evolved or adapted to also take these birds opportunistically.
0: So these little birdies are like, we can't fly during the day because there's there's red-tailed hawks out there. They're going to get us. I don't know if it's red-tailed hawks, but you know what I mean. They're going to come and get us during the day. So I know. I know what we'll do. We'll fly at night when the birds are asleep. And then it didn't work because now the bats got them.
2: So now I'm going to upload a picture to the live chat. Take a look at that.
0: Oh, no. wow. Wow. That bird's practically the same size as that bat. And he has taken it. It is his lunch now.
2: Yeah, yeah, so the name surprising. of this paper was actually that that like revealed this finding was called like bats and robins. Like bat biologists can't resist a pun. <laughs> they also can't resist the Batman connection. Yeah, so Batman his his best sidekick would probably be Poison Ivy because of the complex relationship bats have as pollinators and seed dispersers. Hmm. The flowers that attract the bats, they will have the ultraviolet light reflecting off the petals so that the bats can see it they'll produce a strong odor that the bats can smell it then they'll bloom at night and some of them create acoustic dead zones so they'll have a bunch of fibers so that the bats can hear like my echolocation isn't returning from this spot there's something there and they'll know hey this is where the flower is at or sometimes the leaves will be shaped in such a way to reflect the ultrasound back to the bat so they'll, they'll trying to attract them Visually, with smells, and with echolocation. They're adapted for the bats. And there's even a pitcher plant that co-evolved with this tiny little bat called Hardwick's woolly bat, which then roosts inside the pitcher.
1: Aw, that's kind of cute. Hardwick's.
0: Wooly. Yeah, I like when they're in the little leaves. There's a couple bats that do this sleep
1: inside the leaves thing. It is just so cute. Oh, the Hardwick's woolly bat is not cute. Well, they can't all be winners. <laughs> He's got some little pointy teepees going on so merlin did a
2: a a big photo shoot with this bat and he trained it to come out and ask for mealworm treats or -hmm. rather the bat learned to boop him in the nose to get an extra treat
1: oh that's funny
2: so bats are are very smart little guys they have to they're living in a fast-paced world and they got to be able to to step up to that or flap up to it rather
0: So one thing we always have to ask about is how long do they live? Being a mammal, they don't go through a pupil stage like our usual (laughs) guests. Or they spend 17 years as a baby and then two weeks as an adult. Uh, But how long does a bat live?
2: Uh, The record is over 40, I think 42 years. Uh, It's a little tiny bat uh, relative to the little brown bat that we have here in North America. It's Brant's myotis. It was banded. And then re-caught some forty plus years later, so it could be older than that, but we don't we right because
0: they don't know when they banded it.
2: Yeah, they don't know the age at that.
0: Interesting. Point. That's funny because a lot of small mammals just don't live very long. You think about your gerbils, and but they're also prey animals, so maybe you know. Yeah, bats have <laughs>
2: extreme longevity for their size, which can explain why you know Batman would still be fighting crime into his forties or fifties or whatever in those. In, Forty, yeah, he's been come on, man, thirty-five. We're still, for a we're long, still long time. prime.
1: Forty-year-olds <laughs> are. Uh, look at Tom Brady at forty-three. So
0: uh, let's not look at Tom Brady in any situation.
1: <laughs> the guy annoys uh, my, me real bad. My husband's from Boston, so we're a uh, uh, we're a Brady household. Are we? were mm-hmm. he's not on the team anymore. I'm. I'm more impressed with a uh, sixty-year-old Batman fighting crime.
0: Yeah, it seems like Batman stories always dissolve into like. He's 60 now and he still wants to fight crime, but he's too old and beaten up and also (laughs) incredibly bitter. He's ruined every relationship he's ever had. And now he's got a clone, son. (laughs) Spoiler
2: alert for Batman
1: Beyond. Derek, how long long do bat juveniles take to become adults? What's the the baby stage?
2: Uh, So we mentioned that vampire bats take a little bit longer because they have to learn so much more. Most bats they will kind of or at least for North American bats, they're independent by the end of the summer. So they're born sometimes oh, fast. Yeah, pretty fast. I think the shortest I've seen is like three or four weeks. But I mean when you start out so large yeah. and you're you know only have to get, you know, another thirty percent larger or whatever, then it doesn't take quite as long.
0: Give a birth to a fourteen year old. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of how it is. Gross. <laughs>
2: But yeah, bats don't build nests, with a few exceptions. There are bats which roost inside tents, which they make by biting trees. Or not trees, but you know, large leaves. And then mm. it collapses this like banana leaf. So it folds over into a tent that they roost inside. And then the the thought is that it's primarily male bats that make these and then use mm. them to attract the lady bats. But uh, <laughs> I forget what I, what was the question. Uh, how long do they stay <laughs> how babies? Long do they live? Yeah,
0: how yeah. long do they stay babies?
2: Yeah, when they're born, their their hands are cartilage, just like just like us, human babies. The bones aren't fully ossified, so you're able to look at captured bats in late summer and see if they're still juveniles because they'll still have that kind of cartilage growth plate at the end of their joints.
1: Oh, interesting. That's cool.
2: Yeah, older than that, it gets, you start looking at things like teeth wear and, you know, doing molecular tests on the, you know, strontium in their fur, stuff like that, which is beyond me.
0: <laughs> so if a bat needs to become a member of the 1%, what kind of company would he open?
2: <laughs> Probably like a uh, tequila company, like, like Clooney, because uh, bats are the sole pollinators of the agave plant.
0: The, so we've talked before about how chocolate comes from like one bug so the tequila is coming from one species of bat or a couple species of bat
2: there's a couple uh the mexican long-nosed bat and i think it's the mexican long-tongued bat i'll have to splice in if i got that wrong but they're migratory yeah. species that come up from Mexico and follow the blooming of the agave and visit those and agave only blooms like once a every hundred years or something. And then it dies immediately after that.
0: Oh, really? I didn't realize that about, uh, I don't drink tequila. So (laughs) the life cycle of of tequila is beyond me.
2: But the the harvesting of tequila happens before they bloom. So if you're too intensive with your tequila farming, you're not leaving enough agave for the plants to visit. And you don't want all of your plants to be clones of each other because that leaves them susceptible to disease. Like what has happened with bananas. Right. Bananas, another one, pollinated by bats, but all domesticated bananas don't produce seeds, so they're all clones.
0: Really? Wow, we've really fudged up bananas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I didn't know we'd. Fud- I knew we had fudged up bananas, but I didn't realize how badly we'd fudged up
1: bananas. Oh, so so, Derek, bats are obviously pretty, pretty reliant on their wings. What happens if they tear that? Because the membrane's pretty fine, right?
2: If you feel a bat, you almost don't feel the wings because it's so stretchy. And soft and small, that like
0: it's like skin, right?
2: It's skin, yes. It's highly vascularized, it's got lots of muscles, tiny microscopic muscles in there. So it feels kind of like the skin of your eyelids almost, but Ah. yeah, very, very thin skin. And since it's so vascularized, it can recover from tears pretty easily. So it's not uncommon for bats to, you know, have that wing membrane damaged during flight or fighting or, you know, whatever. If you go to the zoo, you'll often see your fruit bats, you know, getting into squabbles about things.
1: How long does it take for a tear to heal, on average?
2: Uh, I think a, a hole the size of like a quarter or so would take less than a year or so. I don't know the the mm. pre- precise numbers, mm. but bats in rehabilitation do pretty well if they're able to be triaged. Uh, when that happens, they don't let them go into hibernation, from what I understand, so they can continue to heal throughout that winter, and they just get. You know, it's constantly interesting.
0: in, in the enclosure shaking them awake. Hey, 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 no sleeping. <laughs> hey.
2: I think it would be more that you just keep the room too hot for them to go to sleep.
1: Oh, I see. Not as funny. <laughs> well, that's me all summer. All summer long. <laughs> it's too hot.
2: Uh... <laughs> Bats are very smart. They have been trained to respond to rock and roll music.
1: W- w- in what way?
2: So there is a bat in central... In South America, called tracops the fringe-lipped bat, and it uh, hunts frogs. So it listens for frogs to make their little sounds uh, when they're calling for a mate, and then mm-hmm. this bat then eavesdrops and then ambushes the frogs as they're attracting a mate. And you can train them to respond to other sounds, like if you play a different noise and then give them a treat, so they will then associate this <laughs> other sound with food food similar to like you know clicker training a dog or whatever so th- there have been bats that have trained to respond to this novel stimuli as similar to the frog call and then released back after this research was concluded and they found that bats remembered this novel sound cue four years later and i think in this case it was rock and roll music because that was the most thematically appropriate novel oh. stimulus they could think of
1: that's very cool that's very very cool
2: yeah, if you want to know more about that research, uh, the website is, I think it's noseleaf.org. It's Dr. Rachel Page's lab that does a lot of that work with Cops.
1: Hmm.
0: So I've, speaking of clicker training, I've heard that humans inspired by bats can learn to echolocate.
2: Yes, that's true. There's a, a This American Life about a guy who does that, a blind man named Daniel Kish, and he can ride a bicycle.
1: Wow, that's amazing. Based only on
0: echolocating as a human.
2: Yeah, he like clicks his tongue, I believe is how he does it.
0: That's
1: crazy. People are amazing. <laughs> Biology is pretty incredible. Really, really incredible. What what we're capable of. What animals in general are capable of, not just people. So, uh, listener
0: question from uh, one of my friends, when I asked. <laughs> listener question what's the cutest bat because we've seen a lot of cute we've seen a lot of cute bats today what is the Mm. cutest bat
2: sorry i'm waiting to make sure that desi isn't going to scream oh sorry (laughs) no no uh, i'd say the cutest is probably the honduran white bat they are an almost entirely white species i'll pull up a picture here
1: oh they're very cute look at how yellow their little ears are yeah you don't see a lot of yellow mammals
2: No, yeah, that's a carotenoid that they sequester from their food. They exclusively eat figs, and they're one of those species that lives in tents. So the all-white color makes it so that they are basically translucent under the green leaf as the light shines through.
1: Oh, they're so cute.
2: That's probably the cutest species. I would say uh, after that it might be the spotted bat or the hoary bat would be my next contenders. If you're not including the flying foxes, which all kind of look like flying dogs. (laughs)
1: <laughs> it's almost cheating to say they're the cutest the flying yeah, foxes and
2: of the of the flying foxes i'd say the Livingstone's fruit bat is probably the cutest it has little round ears so it looks just like a teddy bear oh uh, another really cute bat i think is the pallid bat which is found in uh, the western united states in more arid regions they hunt insects on the ground so they have the big ears because they're listening for prey rather than catching it out of the air and they, one of their big prey sources is scorpions, which is extremely cool. And uh, they have little pig noses, I think, so they're they're pretty cute as well. They, uh, along with some other desert bats, are immune to scorpion venom. Oh, that's very cool. I think it's in BBC's Life Two or maybe Planet Earth Two. One of those. There is an extended sequence of a desert long-eared bat hunting a scorpion, and they. And I think I remember them watching that. Yeah, it's pretty intense.
1: Is is that Desi in the background?
2: Yeah, that's Desi. She Aww. wants something, so uh, I think I need to go tend to that.
1: <laughs> anyway,
0: uh, so out of uh, out of five bottles of tequila, how many <laughs> how many bottles do you give the Batman in comparison to our bat friends?
2: Are you starting with correct? me? I don't. Yeah. I don't. I don't think he matches very well, um, to be honest. In most regards um so i guess it's like two out of five
0: two out of five okay so he's social and a great dancer but other than that <laughs>
2: nothing yeah because he doesn't have the powers of the bat he yeah. should have more Just things the i mean the, the closest you get is really in like the arkham games where you can yeah. press you know x or whatever and get detective vision and you can see everyone around corners and things like that that's kind of the closest you you come to being a bat Mm. in those games
1: what would you give him amanda
2: glad
0: uh for batman i would give him yeah two he's not very batty i mean he's a great hero don't get me wrong but like he's just not very baddie. for bats themselves five bottles of tequila we're getting we're getting turned on these (laughs) tequilas because bats are really cool and we i feel like we just barely scratched the surface of all the different bats because there's so many
1: kinds of bats and each one is so cool oh absolutely um I think yeah I think I'd give Batman a, a one yeah <laughs> a one not very batty.
0: tequila uh, even uh, his ears aren't very batty yeah, yeah. he just kind of has little pointy ones more devilly it's like that uh that tweet that's like if you told me that there was a hero that's blind and uses echolocation. and he's not called the batman i I punch you in the face you know whatever it is uh my my son i I think he's a little bit confused he's got the right spirit but he's a little confused That he seems to think that for halloween you must dress as a halloween thing last year he was a spider (laughs) this year he's been saying bat we'll see if that comes to fruition um i think he thinks you have to be a halloween thing for halloween
2: that so is uh, we'll see. uh
0: that's a thought, I guess. But, <laughs> well, you know, when you're when you're a little baby child. <laughs> Barely out of his uh learning how to drink blood phase here.
1: Still learning. <laughs> yeah, you did not give birth to a 14 year old. I did not to- give birth
0: to a fourteen year old, <laughs> so he has to
1: still learn how to be a a,
0: a human, unfortunately. Which <laughs> which um like a bat does involve a lot of screaming. Yeah. he's just trying to find his way around
1: (laughs) (laughs) well this was um this was awesome Derek thank you for talk chatting with us about bats Uh, I'm sorry you have to edit yourself now that's (laughs) good yeah
0: I'm not
2: looking forward to that at all
0: So happy Halloween to those of you who are celebrating Halloween. I hope you have a nice dry Halloween. Get all that candy. Remember that if you're drinking any tequila, if you care about tequila, you care about bats. We'll see you next time, guys. Bye. Bugs Need Heroes is created by Derek Conrad and Kelly Zimmerman. Hosted by Amanda Allen Neide and Kelly Zimmerman. Bugs Need Heroes is produced and edited by Derek Conrad. Our music is Ladybug Castle by Roll Music. All character art by Amanda allen Got a bug question? Email us at BugsNeedHeroes at gmail.com. Check us out on BugsNeedHeroes.com for the visual companion to our episodes with the artwork of bug-related heroes. We also have an Instagram, Twitter, and subreddit under the Bugs Need Heroes name. Thanks for coming by.